welcome back to In the Queue, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Andrew, and this film was one of those rare occurrences when I find the ambition of the film to be both admirable and frustrating simultaneously. Well said. Uh, This is Phil, your other co-host, and I think that casting Tom Hanks in so so much of a major role in this film was a masterstroke. Though I'm not quite sure how or why it is, but it's quite it's quite compelling to see him in this film. Indeed. I find he's quite compelling in pretty much everything he does. I mean, I think that's sort of why he's the star he is, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, this film is such a departure from anything he's ever done. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, the film that we're talking about is Cloud Atlas. Uh, It is our listener's choice for the week. It was recommended to us by Kim, who is here to speak with us about the film. Say hi to everybody, Kim. Hello. Uh, We will get into that conversation in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to tell you all how you can find us on the web if you haven't already found us, which you probably have if you're listening to this. Yeah, but they they might have friends who don't know how to find us. Exactly. Exactly. To them. They're sharing it. That's what we're we're now in the sharing economy, right? That's that's where we are now. That's right. Go uh, viral, baby. <laughs> so you can find us on our blog, which is at www.in-the-q. That's the letter q.com. There we post all of our episodes of the podcast, as well as an occasional additional post. But more importantly, there is a comment section on the blog where you can recommend films that you would like us to talk about. We will take those and we will put them in the proverbial queue Mm. and we will have you on the show to talk about them with us. You can do that very same thing on our Facebook page. Leave us comments on the Facebook page and we will, uh, we'll pick up uh, whatever film it is that you want to talk about, provided that it is easily accessible and uh, we can get a hold of it. And uh, the Facebook page also includes various different links to articles or videos or supplemental materials that will help you kind of flesh out your appreciation of a given film that we're talking about. Yep. And finally, you can go to iTunes and you can find us by searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. The same name can be used on the Facebook page, incidentally, if you go on Facebook. And uh, on iTunes, you can find us, you can subscribe to our podcast, and then every single episode will be delivered to you as soon as it's available. Too sweet. Too sweet, as they say. As I said, uh, we are going to be talking today about the film Cloud Atlas, which was uh, uh, a bit of a a disappointment, I would say, uh, critically and uh, monetarily speaking. Um, it was made by the Wachowskis, who, of course, are most famous for The Matrix, the sort of super uh, franchise of the late 90s and the early 2000s. And uh, even some of their other films seem to have done a lot better than this one did. Uh, but before we get into talking about the actual plot of the film itself and and what we thought about it, uh, if you could uh, let us know, Kim, why it is that you selected this particular film to talk about. Uh, thanks, Andrew. And thanks, Phil, for having mm-hmm. me. I'm really oh, happy yeah. to be here. Welcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, welcome. Um, so I'm going to be extremely opinionated when I discuss <laughs> this movie. Do you have to? I mean, <laughs> we kind of like to have an even keel discussion with very little conflict. Yeah. 
Yeah, we like we like our guests not to have any opinion at all. Can't you just like agree with us and everything? Okay, we okay. okay go ahead, Pia. Okay, so <laughs> good sarcasm. So I think that this film may have been the only decent movie that I have seen in a movie theater since maybe like 1993, let's say. Wow. Which begs the question: What did you see in 1993 that was so good? <laughs> My, Jurassic I, Park, Schindler's yeah, List. I got to see Jurassic It was life. Yeah, that's true. Jurassic Park, yeah. That's well, that's a good movie. Uh, honestly, I feel like this film is about... I think there were some parts that were a bit clunky. I, I will say that. However, to me, this film seemed like it's at least 250 years ahead of its time, maybe up to 1,000 years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, how many times have you seen Cloud Atlas? I was trying to count before we started this call, and I think it's somewhere around six or seven times. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that would really enrich one's interpretation of this movie. <laughs> no, I it's mean, extremely complex. It's an yeah. extremely complex film. I saw it once yesterday, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. upon one viewing, the film is, uh, for me, messy. And it's a highly fragmented narrative, and the the you know trips from different time periods and the 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 montage style editing of the entire film uh, for me was it only really worked it only really picked up for me in the last hour of the film when sort of things were sort of like. The tension was ratcheting up. Um, the, the climax was approaching. Um, some people say climax. I say climax. And <laughs> uh, for some reason, the editing just seemed to be a little bit more seamless. For a large portion of the film, you know, you, you're jumping from time to time to time, and I feel like there needed to be more of a of a visible connection between these events well before we get too far into it i will sort of take a good luck. very weak stab <laughs> at uh summarizing this film uh it it is uh it's about a, a series of characters it, it takes place in i think six different time periods yeah, if i'm not mistaken yeah, six yeah um every all the way from the 18th century up to 108 years after the fall of civilization, uh, as we know it, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And uh, and that's sometime well, well, well into the future, several hundred years into the future. And, uh, and each of these time periods is linked to the others, not only through the characters. Uh, every actor in this film plays many different characters in each of the time periods. Indeed. Um, but also through items or uh, most most often like a, a physical tactile, yes, or themes, like, or themes, themes or mu- music, um, any number of things that link uh, the 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 periods together and link the characters together. And so, in a very philosophical sense, I guess it's their lives are repeating over and over again. And they're sort of making the same mistakes, but different people are making the mistakes in different time periods. And 
trying to learn from them and trying to better ourselves as humanity, as the human race. That's about as good as I'm going to get for a plot <laughs> description. Good. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm sort of talking about, Phil. What you were saying with regards to uh, the the fragmentation of it and the, and the kind of um, difficulty understanding it because I also watched it. I watched it about a week ago mm-hmm. and uh, have been reflecting upon it since. Yeah. I've had a little bit more time than Phil uh, to reflect upon it. And it's, it's frustrating, but it's also engaging at the same time. <laughs> like I find myself wanting to figure it out and sort of wanting to, to piece some of it together that I didn't really feel like I understood. I feel like a lot of, information is there almost too much information is there in the film and in order to suss it all out i would have to return to it six times right as you have kim there's a there's a line that i think is in this movie or i cribbed it from somewhere else in my life (laughs) but i think it's in the movie where uh when jim broadbent is portraying the famous composer for that particular segment of the film I believe he says something about critics, like they listen to music quickly and they don't invest in what they're hearing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I wonder if that's like a veiled suggestion for how to view Cloud Atlas. But even if it was not an intentional suggestion, I was thinking to myself, if I, <coughs> if I watch this movie with more patience and more openness... Is, am I going to have the religious experience that the fans of the film talk about? And I feel like true lovers of film, you know, would would love this movie, uh, but it is it demands a lot of attention. I feel, and um, I looked it up, and Roger Ebert gave it his highest rating um, when he was. This was the, this film came out. I remember this that. came out in 2012, so it was just a, a couple of years before he died. But um, I just kind of feel like the and the makeup and the the fake noses and the hair pieces and and that all that. Forgive me, but I found a lot of that to be unintentionally funny. I mean, like I was like, "Oh, there's Hugh Grant. Uh, you're not fooling me. I know who you are after all that makeup." Although future Hugh Grant, like uh, yeah. after the fall, Hugh Grant was shockingly good. Yeah, he was makeup. That was, like his, that was badass. That, there evil were, yeah there were a few of of uh those characters that you were just like whoa seriously like when they roll the credits it was pretty yeah, impressive yeah. um well i i hear what you're saying phil about it being um fragmented i i think why the part of the reason i have such high regard for this film is that so much of American modern cinema feels completely vapid to me. And this movie dared to take a stab at some themes that are extremely essential to life. And just the fact that it took a stab at them to me, um, just, it was very powerful for me to um, get to experience that in a movie theater. But it was interesting, um, some of the themes that I picked out when I was watching this this recent time, um, entropy versus advancement. Um, The theme of slavery came up quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, My favorite quote from the film is, separation is an illusion, because that's kind of what I believe. So hearing that line in the film was like, yes, all right, like, come on, let's get on the boat, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, 
Oh, another line that was really interesting is um, regarding freedom. It's they said only those, <coughs> only those deprived of freedom have uh, have any idea, you know, what it is or what it means. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And I want to bring up something that I found hilarious. This might not be the time for it, but oh, please go ahead. <laughs> so, for, for some reason, the funniest thing in the movie to me. Am I allowed to curse? By the way, I just. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Just in case it, it comes out, I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so the funniest thing was old Georgie. Like that character to me was hilarious. Like what the fuck? Why is this like old Cockney, uh, you know, guy that looks like he came out of a, a Charles Dickens novel wearing his like raggedy top hat, like walking sideways on the mountain, like talking to, to Tom Hanks. Like that was a riot. And it was so fucking bizarre uh -huh. and um one of the most fascinating things about the film to me that i found very curious and i'm i'm sure there's an, a deeper answer somewhere but i wasn't able to find it in the five minutes of research i did just a few minutes <laughs> ago um they reference george the name george many many times in the film and it's always in regard to um forces of entropy so hmm. uh in the beginning of the film there's a statue of saint george and the dragon there's, yeah, yeah. Um, they talk about Georgian slaves. Um, there was old Georgie. And then Georgette is the name of the wife that um, the two brother, the brother, sorry, I don't know the name, name of the That's guy. okay. There's lots of names to uh, all the characters. Yeah, that's a misremember. Georgette, Georgette was like the wife that one of the characters cheated um, in the film. Yeah. And I found yeah. that so, so fascinating. Um, and I'm really curious about that, if there's a deeper meaning there. So. Might be worth another viewing. <laughs> viewing number seven. <laughs> you know, I think we should also give credit to Tom Tykvare, who was yeah, the yeah. co-director of, of this film. Yeah, I neglected to mention him, but I think that his there's certainly some of his stamp on it because he he definitely has a very uh, he has a very unique style. Yeah, uh, to the the films that he's directed, and I think that. Uh, Part of the reason this doesn't feel like just an out-and-out -out Wachowski film is could possibly be attributed to him, do although you, I don't know what he did or didn't direct. Do you have a sense of what aspects of the film would be due to his contribution? Uh, I can find that out because they say it in the credits. Uh, let me see if I can. Wait, which parts he Just stylistically, he do you have like sort of intuitive sense of what... what I would say stylistically... I would say it's likely that the um, the the boat segments, the boat sequences, would probably be uh, very much him. Um, I would say possibly the the post, like the after the fall sequences, um, the ones that uh, show a little bit more restraint and don't aren't aren't as focused on action. Although there is that very Wachowski action sequence in the after the fall <laughs> yeah. uh, segment, probably the, the most uh, sort of bombastic action sequence in the entire film. Yeah. That's how I convinced my friends to watch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, yeah. I have well, to, it's pretty, it's a pretty great scene. I mean, I have to admit that the, the whole Neo soul uh, overtly science fiction, -y sequence towards the, the end of the film was, was really thrilling. And yeah, um, it definitely, it was kind of what I had been waiting for. Yeah. Um, here, I can tell you exactly who did what on this. Let's hear it. Um, Let's hear it, Phil. What do you got? 
Hold on. I had it a second ago. Uh, keep talking amongst yourselves. So can I, I'm just going to kind of make a segue yeah. um, referencing the St. George and the dragon statue that they show in yeah, the yeah. film. There's a, there's a scene in this film that absolutely thrills me. It gives me goosebumps every time I cry whenever I see it. And it's the scene um, where they're talking about separation is illusion. It's the sex scene. It's the scene where all the China's falling to me. The scene with the China falling is the most brilliant scene in the entire film. And I kind of wish the movie would end there in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and one of the first things you see is that stat, uh, that St. George and the dragon statue um, being crushed, which um, mm-hmm. is, is great. It's visually r- really thrilling. Um, but and I and I will say, yeah, there are parts that are really clunky. There are parts that I just kind of want to fast forward through mentally. Um, now, especially now that I know the film, it's like I really want to get to the the juicy. Well, I, bits. yeah, I would be very curious to read the book that this is based off of, because I feel like I feel like this would almost work more efficiently as a like a mini series yes yeah. I agree. yeah which maybe maybe when this film was being made you know we did, we hadn't quite quite reached the uh sort of level of television dominance that we have today mm-hmm. um you know i mean three four years ago it wasn't quite as uh viable an option right but i feel like this is such a an expansive uh concept there's so there's so much here mm-hmm. that it would have worked better if it had been spread out over five or seven or ten hours you know right? interestingly the novel is not non-linear like the film hmm. the, oh, the really? novel is uh discrete segments um so it tells each each time period is its own story right. and then it ends and goes to the next one and i think adapting it as it was is you know the natural decision to make if you're making a film um, mm. because you it allows you to tell more of a story that way um so tom tykver directed the segments of 1936 1973 oh, okay. and 2012 oh. Yeah. interesting yeah none of the ones okay. that i named <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, wow i'm i'm shocked i'm i mean I dig it, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. It seemed like one of the one of the really strongly social themes was um, around division between people, beings, but people in this case. Um, yeah. And they said at one point the gulf is an illusion, and they kept making references to kind of you know this imposed hierarchy of humanity and how it's irrelevant basically so i you know i thought that was a very i don't i bought the book i didn't read it so i don't know if that message was in the book but it was a very responsible message to try to convey well yeah and i I find this very interesting pardon me uh from the wachowski's perspective because obviously the matrix movies have been i think rightfully hammered for the ham-fisted philosophy that's contained therein right (laughs) I mean, it's it's really like it's like high school level philosophy, just like beaten to death. Especially by the time you get to the third film, it's just absurd. It does. It gets old. <laughs> it gets it gets real old. I mean, even in the first film, it's a little you know right on the nose when he's like, "Hey, man, thanks. You're my own personal Jesus Christ." <laughs> when he's buying drugs in like the first like the first ten minutes of the movie. 
Um, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I see where we're going with this. Uh, <laughs> but, but to be fair, I think that this movie shows a lot more uh, philosophical sensitivity, I guess. Um, it seems like it's a lot more uh, engaged with its own philosophical concept. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, while there are those thrilling sequences that we talked about that would be probably more typical of what people think of when they think of the Wachowskis, uh, I think this this movie is a lot more restrained, despite the fact that it's epic, it's nearly three hours long, you know, it's it's really quite bloated in some ways. Uh, I think that they still show uh, (laughs) restraint. That that sounds counterintuitive, right? (laughs) Uh, no, they, they, it's a little more subtle. It's definitely more subtle than The Matrix. Um, the Matrix was kind of like, oh, wow, cool, a philosophical film, but everybody can kind of get it. And yeah, yeah. Cloud Atlas was almost a little bit too obscure for the masses, which I think is why a lot of people discarded it. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. and since the filmmakers and the editor understand that they have six stories that they're trying to tell, and within a certain amount of time the film obviously doesn't linger on one segment for too long but the the vignettes if you will of each time period and place are almost elliptical in the sense that they don't give away too much of what's what's going to happen and uh you know like when when Jim Broadbent is escaping from the nursing home um that to me was the most kind of like um, the the strongest example of how each segment of his you know adventure was ending with a suggestion of what was going to happen the next time around, and it had a lot of momentum, you know, going into this you know escape that he was undertaking, um, but. Then again, you know, as I said in, in the, the beginning of the podcast, I feel like the first two hours or so were very talky and um, I had a hard time, I guess, making those leaps from, from one place to another. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's hard to piece it together in real time, right? Like as you're watching it, it's very difficult to make sense of who is – who, you know, what relationship they have to each other. And and you're also, I found my own brain trying to frantically link together the people who were playing. And maybe this is totally irrelevant. Uh, and I shouldn't have been doing this. <laughs> you know, my brain was just uh, tempted to try and link together. Like, why is this person playing this character in this time? You know, why is Tom Hanks this character at this point? Why is he so evil in this time? Why is he so good yes. in this time? Um, and that that was it was exhausting <laughs> mentally. Like it was it was difficult to uh, to try and put that together because oftentimes I found myself just running into a dead end and saying, "I I don't know. I have no idea why these people are playing these characters in these different times." Yeah. I, that's reasonable, uh, I think, on both accounts. And I, you know, I don't know if all of those. I, I've only seen the movie six or seven times. I haven't fully analyzed it. <laughs> Is that all? Oh, that's, 
That's all. But, but I will say, you know, some of those, I think it's reasonable to make those um, associations. The thing that I found interesting about Tom Hanks' character and the fact that, you know, in the 19 or in the 1800s um, storyline, he's so evil, right? And then, yeah. and then in the, you know, most modern one, he is actually really good. Um, so there yeah. was an interesting link in if you want to follow him as an actor through those storylines. Um, in the 1800s when he's uh, helping John Ewing, the sick guy on the boat, and he uh -huh. pops the button off his coat. And then you, I think you later see that button maybe in Vivian Ayers. I'm probably mistaken about yeah. that. But then you, well, you do end up seeing that button at the very end in the modern uh, storyline and uh, in the After the Fall. And Tom Hanks' character in that storyline has the button um, on a string around his neck. And when that... Mm -hmm that string breaks, it actually saves his life. So it's almost like this karmic, he broke his own karmic loop. He changed his fate. Right, right. He was able to transition from being this really evil character to slowly becoming, slowly, um, you know, redeeming himself through these different incarnations. And then finally in the last one, it's like he's freed himself of. Yeah. Yeah. George and I think that whatever, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> old Georgie, uh, telling, telling him what to do all the time. Old Greg. Um, just, you know, talking in his ear. It's um, old Greg reference. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that that might actually contribute to why, uh, it was so poorly critically and publicly received, uh, is that you, some of those things like the, the necklace breaking, for instance, that's just a shot. Right. It's like a second. Right. If you miss that, you you might not be able to put pull those pieces together and it might not mean as much to you. Or you've, if you miss the fact that uh, the journal of the captain was uh, was <laughs> resting underneath the the foot of the the, the desk. Yeah. The desk <laughs> where Ben Wishaw in the place where Ben Wishaw killed himself. You know, like the, <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff there, um, and and it, and it goes by in such a flash that I think that I think that it it almost demands repeat view, viewings, and uh, and I think that for something that's as sort of big and and epic as this is, uh, that's a daunting thought to a lot of people, right? <laughs> To return to it and like try to figure it out the second or the third or the seventh time through, right? Yeah, and you know, I mean, like movies like this, uh, when you when you do watch them a second time or a third time, you're able to bypass the initial novelty of when you watch it the first time, and you're just thrust into this world. You're, yeah, you're yeah. thrust into six worlds, and you have to basically navigate what's happening, and you're cutting from one seemingly unrelated thing to another. But once you have assumed what's happening, at least on some kind of basic level, then you can explore different levels of the film, which I think is what Kim has done. And, you know, then it'll sort of open like a flower. And then there's, there's a lot of additional uh, layers to this film that you'll understand the more you see it. But You've got to be in love with it the first time, I think, to really <laughs> take yeah. that extra step. There's got to be something about it from that initial novelty viewing that will make you return to it again and again. And um, and I, on the the topic about the, how it didn't do well with critics and and the yeah, and yeah. audiences, 
it's really rare for a three hour film to connect with audiences and critics. You know, yeah, that's true. I mean, especially especially true. an original story. I feel because mm-hmm. then you're getting into the postman territory. <laughs> yeah, you, if you Schindler's List is is a great classic, uh, canonized book. Therefore, you know the film should be that long, and people will sit through it, and it's a great film. But whenever you've got like a writer like, uh, like Richard Kelly doing Southland Tales, you've got a super ambitious wow. project, you know, dream project, that unfortunately those never really seem to connect with audiences, or critics. Yeah. Um. So, but. But Cloud Atlas, I think that uh, there's got to be more to it than you would see um, from one cursory viewing. And uh, that's that's why, I, I mean, I know this film has got some kind of a cult following. And it's not just yeah. Kim. Oh, yeah. I think other people, <laughs> Kim has emailed lots of people and they all like this film now because of Kim. She's like a PR campaign. Well, uh, I, I will tell you that I um, I uh, I went to my friend's house to watch it this most recent time, and um, they they could not get through it. Yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's I think that's a pretty average experience <laughs> with this film. So yeah, I I think that it I think that the film is exhausting. I think it's an exhausting film to watch. I I I, I just think that it's. Um, <laughs> And, that, and that's not to say it's bad because I actually found myself really fascinated by the movie, um, but but I do think that there, there's just so much happening, and there's so much information that I think that it just it just trying to connect all the pieces. And as Phil said, there are elements in it that are just goofy, just <laughs> silly things. Some of the makeup, as you said, Phil, is silly. The future speak that they have is I love it. New Orleans it's, style. It's Weird New Orleans kind of like funky kind of cross between that and the and the the Droog language you know the it's kind of like the children <laughs> from uh, from Thunderdome too like the... yeah 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 <laughs> it is it's a lot like that um, I hadn't thought about that but it is uh, so yeah I mean it's not unkind I mean we've seen these kinds of you know uh, future speak versions of the English language before. But like when they're like, you know, is that the real true true, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's legit. Like you, you tell me the true true. <laughs> I mean, after the tenth time that you've heard true true, you're kind of like, okay, all right, that's how we're all going to speak at that time period. All right, I, I, I guess, I guess. Now. Now. Yeah. Um. But it's, you know, as I said in my opening, like, I admire the ambition of this film uh, more than I thought I would, actually, Um, because because of the critical reception of this film, I I thought that I was going to dislike it. Um, But I mean, there's, you know, the Wachowskis are very talented filmmakers. Tom Tikver is very talented filmmaker. Um, They've all made movies that I love. (laughs) So there's no real reason for me to, to, you know discount this except for the fact that it had just been so poorly received and so i was actually i was pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways by this film um disappointed in others exhausted by the (laughs) the experience of watching it but uh but it, it it is it is unquestionably a fascinating film seems like a reasonable assessment and i we have another guest 
Oh, yeah. Excuse, excuse me. That's uh, my cat, Phoenix. He wanted to make an appearance at the <laughs> end here. Um, yes, and I will, you know, I, I will admit I have extremely strong opinions about film, and they don't often coincide with the opinions of other people I talk to. Um, for instance, I, I've probably watched Cemetery Man at least 30 times, and <laughs> I, I'm in love with movies that I have to watch endlessly, that I feel like there's always something that I'm not understanding, and I just, I like to dig super deep so um for me to have a movie that i can watch you know six or seven times and still not feel like i'm understanding it completely like that's a winner so well i think what this means is we have to have you on the show again oh good <laughs> to talk about another film <laughs> yeah yeah maybe cemetery man. oh my gosh i've got a lot to <laughs> anyway thank you yeah so yeah, I think that that uh, that's our conversation on Cloud Atlas. Um, again, I I would give it I would give it a recommendation. I I would say that it's worth watching just because it's a very singular kind of uh, piece of filmmaking. It's very unusual, um, and it's very interesting. And performances are are for the most part really excellent. I love watching Jim Broadbent. I love Ben Whishaw. I love Tom Hanks. Uh, I think that they all turn in really excellent performances in this film. Uh, Duna Bay, the Korean who I, I hadn't seen before, mm-hmm. um, also very good. Um, yeah, yeah. The actors were sort of, they were almost heartbreakingly committed to their roles, yeah. I felt. They were really in it. Um, yeah. I, they give like 110% everybody in this film. And to every one of these different characters that they play. I mean... The, the the characters are so wildly different in each time period that it's actually a very impressive from an acting standpoint just to watch them try even if even if they don't always succeed yeah just to watch them like just go for the gusto and yeah and i believe yeah. tom hanks um made a large contribution to the success of the film i think he really believed in the project he was really enthusiastic about it and his commitment was what really brought a lot of the actors other actors on board so yeah and you can and you can tell that too uh, I actually um, don't recommend watching the film <laughs> unless you watch it six or seven times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I won't say that's not fair. <laughs> um, it is something like, I mean, if if this conversation has revealed nothing else, it's that a, a single viewing of this film is probably not enough. Uh, so be prepared for a minimum of six, <laughs> nine, twelve hours of watching. <laughs> This film really only exists in the context of its being of being viewed multiple times. Probably. Yeah, yeah, basically. So if you're not willing to commit yourself to 18 <laughs> hours of movie watching, just don't watch it at all. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much, Kim, for recommending this film to us. Um, I'm actually glad that I got to see it. Uh, uh, I I had put it off when it was in theaters and and after that so uh, i had actually kind of forgotten about it until you recommended it so i'm glad that uh that i got to see it um uh thanks for coming on the show and we yeah. hope to see you again on the show sometime yeah, soon a lot. thank you yeah. so much for having me it was really fun i appreciate it yeah definitely definitely and for you listeners out there please join us for our next episode when we'll be talking about something a little bit less lofty <laughs> eli roth's the green inferno a new release that I'm very excited about and Phil is not excited about at all. <laughs> well, you know, I watched a red band clip from it. Yeah, you did. And it was kind of perversely satisfying. 
Oh, yes. Because there's something about – let me just – I know we're ending the show right now, but this is just one <laughs> one, side, one aside. Yeah. Andrew posted on Facebook how thrilled he was about this movie coming out, and I said the reason he's thrilled is because he wants to watch those kids die because he hates America. <laughs> and there is something about watching these snotty American kids, uh, you know, being massacred in the jungle – that it, it is weirdly perversely satisfying. And the clip that I watched was, you know, totally grotesque. And I don't know how much worse it gets, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm willing to sit through the Green Inferno. Yes, yes. And we hope that you listeners out there will be willing to sit through it as well and then uh, form your own opinions. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's going to be a fun podcast. So join us for that. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks a lot.